Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am delighted and honored to have with me as my guest today, Michael J. Gelb. Michael, welcome to my show. So great to be with you. Thank you. Well, Michael, I I just can hardly wait to talk to you about our topic today, but let me introduce you first to my audience. Michael is the world's leading authority on the application of genius thinking to personal and organizational development. He's the author of 16 books, and the one you may be most familiar with is How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, He is focused on some really important work that I'm excited to explore with him because he helps organizations around the world develop more creative, innovative, and conscious cultures. And that conscious cultures is what we're really going to be looking at today because we're going to be exploring his latest book, which is called The Healing Organization, Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. What a profound title, Michael. I love that. And he is the co-author of that book with Raj Sisodia. And so what I want to start with, Michael, is what was the driver for this book? I I just loved it. I think it's very important. I think any business owner ought to read this because of what you convey on so many levels about the right way to run a business, to run an organization. And so let's talk first about the driver. What was behind it? What was different about your message with this book compared to other business books that are out there? Well, the driver behind this book was my lifetime passion for helping people live more creative, compassionate, and conscious lives. And early on in my career, I was very surprised to discover that business could play a leading role in helping people be more creative, conscious, and compassionate. I realized that it was the most powerful force in the world, for better or for worse. So why not figure out how to make it for better? And way back in the 1990s, I was invited to teach creative thinking at George Mason University, part of their executive MBA program. And the director of that executive MBA program was Professor Raj Sisodia. So Raj attended my three-day program. It used to be called High Performance Learning. Uh, We did it many times. We did it five, six, seven times for those students, for different groups of students. Raj and I really connected, became friends, stayed in touch. And then years later, he sent me the draft of what would become his book, Firms of Endearment, which profiled companies that cared for all their stakeholders. And guess what? They made more money. So so 
it was wonderful because firms of endearment gave me a framework, an academic research validated framework for what I had always intuited that if businesses cared for all their stakeholders, if they made creativity and human values part of their culture, that they would do better. It just, it seems so obvious to me, but now we had the, the data. Mm -hmm. And what Raj and his colleagues did was track the firms of endearment companies that he profiled in that book against the so-called good to great companies profiled in Jim Collins' famous business bestseller. And guess what? The firms of endearment companies way outperformed the good to great companies financially, leaving aside the fact that the firms of endearment were much more beloved, wonderful places to work, beloved by employees, by vendors, by communities, by stakeholders, whereas some of the so-called good to great companies were companies like Philip Morris. I don't have to tell you about the collateral damage of Philip Morris to our society. Uh, Circuit City, which is out of business, and Wells Fargo, which uh, was fined not too long ago billions of dollars for stunning system-wide fraud. So I don't think that's good. I don't think that's great. I think it's crazy, and it always seems so obvious to me. But here was Raj presenting the data to show that what I had intuited was true. So Raj and I really connected, stayed in touch further, and then when conscious capitalism began, he invited me to come and be the facilitator of a number of the first uh, CEO summits, as well as a keynote speaker at the global conferences. And at one of those conferences on the theme, the theme was the emerging role of women in conscious business. Mm. So I was the MC of this event and I had the pleasure of introducing Jean Houston, Marianne Williamson, Marty Barletta, and a number of other brilliant women leaders. And then I got to give the closing keynote on the integration of the masculine and the feminine energies, which is something that we all aspire to, irrespective of gender. Yes. So Raj introduced me, and he said something that I didn't even know until that introduction. He said that when he attended my seminar at George Mason, it gave him the inspiration to realize that he could be creative, and it's part of what inspired him to write Firms of Endearment. So in other words, Raj in my seminar got the inspiration to develop the creativity to write the book that gave me the framework for everything that I was doing in businesses. <laughs> so you can see how that led to, we said we have to write something together, and then that evolved and took many different forms until it emerged as the healing organization, Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the Yes, and I want to hold up that book too, The Healing Organization, and, and have you first talk about that phrase, healing organization. Tell us what you mean by that, because it sounds a little uh, conceptual and, and vague and, and not a term that we typically associate with especially for-profit organizations, but any type of organization. So talk yeah. a little bit more about that. Well, the word, the word healing means to return to wholeness. Mm. So that's what we all strive for individually. 
and that's when society is working well, when communities are working well, when businesses are working well, they're integrated, they're whole. They recognize that they're part of an ecosystem, part of an economic fabric that is interdependent. So when organizations organize themselves around a higher purpose, and almost every business actually starts with some kind of noble intention to provide, to meet some real human need, mm-hmm. to, to do something that benefits humanity. Most people don't think, how can I exploit, addict, and ruin the lives of others for my short-term uh, aggrandizement? I mean, there are some, <laughs> but we won't talk about them. Uh, most people ha- want to make a positive difference in, in the world. So they form a higher purpose. Thomas Edison was a great example. Edison wanted to illuminate the planet. That's something everybody wanted, and he succeeded. He wanted to provide recorded sound so people could listen to music, and he invented the recording industry. He wanted to uh, invent the movies, which he did. And he had an overriding purpose that led to the beginning of, of... all of the Edison laboratories was to bring out the secrets of nature for the happiness of humanity. So that's the beginning of the whole Edison enterprise, just for example. And most businesses start with that kind of positive purpose. But the trick is to make sure that you have that positive purpose, you define your values, and that they're values that You wouldn't change no matter what changes in the world, your basic commitment to how you're going to treat all your stakeholders. Then you formulate strategies to make the purpose real, to live your mission, which is what you do in order to to facilitate that purpose. So the definition of all this is something I've been helping companies do for many, many years. And if you can do that in a way that is integrated, so that the values are really authentic, that the purpose inspires you to get up and go to work beyond just earning your paycheck. Mm-hmm. And you have a clear sense of what, why you're doing what you're doing, why it's important and what it is you need to do and, and how you're going to do it and how you're going to treat people. That, that sets the stage for wholeness. But then you have to be cognizant of how are you incentivizing and rewarding your people? And are the incentives and the rewards in alignment with the purpose and the values and the mission? How are you training and developing your people? How are you coaching them? Are you giving them the guidance they need in order to grow and learn and be ever truer to your higher purpose? And these and how are you recruiting and hiring people are you bringing in the kinds of people who are aligned with your values and your purpose and that's where there's usually a big gap most companies have a gap between what they say they stand for and what they want to do and what they're actually doing we all have that gap because yeah. that's part of the human condition 
That's yeah. why we need coaching. That's why we need training. That's why we need help. That's why you and I exist. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because we all aspire. And there, there are those gaps between what we aspire to be and how we are in a given moment. So, yes. Exactly right. So then, so, so whole, the quest for wholeness is the quest to see how does this all fit together? And the challenge for a leader is to, is to have a picture, a sense of how it all fits together. And I, we haven't even mentioned market conditions and customer needs and what other, you know, what you're benchmarking is, and, and societal phenomenon, government regulation and supplies and materials and the overall economy and all sorts of factors. But the core element is your, your purpose, your mission, your values, your strategy, your tactics, your goals, your recruiting and hiring, your incentive and compensation, your training and development, your coaching. And if you could start with just getting that together, well, then your organization is more whole. So we usually think of healing as, a, well, you're sick and you go to a doctor to get healed, which you don't really. You heal yourself. <laughs> but, but healing, it really is the return to wholeness. And so that's what Raj and I advocate in this book, a, a practical strategy for a return to wholeness within an organization but the role of organizations in terms of a return to wholeness in, in the broader society. Because right, because one of the things that you um, make a distinction about is this idea of pleasing shareholders versus taking a broader look at, and defining stakeholders. So talk a little bit more about that distinction because it makes a huge difference uh, are related to not just the focus of an organization, but its behavior. Yes. Well, even the, the Business Roundtable made their now famous declaration last fall that the doctrine of shareholder primacy has outlived its use, usefulness. So this, this has always been a toxic idea. It's, a, it's just a flawed idea, and it's clear that it's created dis-ease in the society in a way that's not sustainable. So we're looking at how do we change that system, but not by regulation, not by some top-down dictate. But rather, that's why the subtitle of the, of the book is what it is, by awakening the conscience of business to help save the world. And that's part of what is so moving to both Raj and I in writing the book and interviewing these CEOs is there are three kinds of CEOs that we, we interviewed and three kinds of companies we profile. There are those that began with the notion of being a healing organization. For example, we talk about this wonderful B Corp called Life Guides. And they've created this amazing platform so that people can help other people. It's a phenomenal benefit for any company. Let's say you have somebody who works in your company and they just got the news that their parents, that one of their parents has Alzheimer's and they're facing 
possibly 10 or 20 years of being a caregiver? And how much does that take away from their ability to be present at work and do a good job? And it's very expensive to get private therapy for that, for that person. But what if there was somebody else who just, whose parents just passed away after 10, 20 years struggle with Alzheimer's? And what if you could train that person to be a guide and provide peer-to-peer -peer guidance? Somebody who just went through this, now trained how to counsel, can, train, can, can coach your person, can provide counseling for your person at an amazingly inexpensive, how's that for, for a benefit that can then, not just because it's compassionate, but it's gonna be good business because that person will be able to do a better job at work because they're getting the counseling and support that they need. So it's a genius idea. So, and it started as a healing organization. Then there's companies like Hillman Consulting, amazing group uh, based in New Jersey. That's actually been a client of mine for the last four years. And it's such an honor and a thrill to work with them because they started out as an ethical business as a, with basic good values. But as they've learned about conscious capitalism and the healing organization, they keep raising their game. Mm. And the CEO, Chris Hillman, stood up at our last strategic planning meeting and he said, you know, we're a healing organization. What does that mean? It means that we're really doing what we do for a purpose way beyond just making money. Because if he wanted, if he wanted the money, he could just bundle the whole thing up, sell it now. He'd never have to work a day in his life. He could play golf all day. He loves golf. But he, instead, he's out there creating healthier internal environments for his, for his clients' buildings uh, with, and, and running this very demanding business because he loves this growing constituency of people who work there. It's like a, genuinely like a family. And they really provide a service that makes a tremendous difference. You know, they remediate, help remediate asbestos and mold and now COVID-19 from, from buildings. I mean, so they're, on, they're right there doing something that's by itself a wonderful service to humanity. But the purpose of it is, is so clear and it's taken the energy level of these already great people to another level. So they've, they've raised their game by, by embracing the idea of the healing organization. But then the most interesting group by far are the ones who are basically business as usual, shareholder return, not focused on a higher purpose, effectively exploiting the world to make money without, they weren't evil, they weren't consciously evil, but they, the ultimate effect of what they were doing was evil until their conscience awoke. And so we, we tell these, these stories like FIFCO in, in Costa Rica, uh, there, there are plenty of other ones where they just said, oh my God, what am I doing? Uh, we, we tell the story of Apple Tree Answers. The CEO found out that one of his employees was homeless. She lost her home and she was living with her two kids in a station wagon. And he just, he felt, he wrote, he said to us, I said, I felt a deep sense of shame. And we tell the story in the book of how he went about fixing this and changing the whole culture and, and taking care of his people. And 
his company became way more profitable when he started doing that. So that's that's you know, that's the real happy ending. If you're if you're more focused on the capitalist than the conscious, you'll make more money being a good person. So once you read the data, once you know the stories, why would you ever do anything else? That's such a great, uh, those examples were all so good and they were brought to life in such a wonderful way in your book. And I don't think I mentioned you have 25 different companies that are profiled in the book and they're all really different from each other. And yet each in its own way is so inspiring or, you know, it evokes such emotion because you really feel with these real people that you're describing. It's not hypothetical, it's real. And so this idea of shifting away from strictly looking at, at the shareholder value and what are we returning to you know, people that own stock in our company or the investors, it may not be a publicly traded company, but any company where there are these external people who have put money into the company and you're trying to get a return for them, it's very limiting to focus on them. So let's talk about what are the different groups you define as stakeholders? Who are they? Sure. Well, really all stakeholders are everyone who is in any way affected by your enterprise. And what we discovered, one of the things that became very clear is that the key stakeholder for any business enterprise are the people who work there the associates or employees or whatever term people use to refer to those who are employed at the, at mm -hmm. the enterprise. Because, yeah. you know, the old notion was, well, the customer is always right. And the customer comes first and all that stuff. Well, no, it, it's, it really isn't that way. If you don't treat your people really well, if they're not your primary stakeholder, then that gets passed along to the customer and to everyone else. So. You, your employees, your associates, primary stakeholder. And we found this over and over again that all of these healing leaders that we interviewed figured this out, that when they cared for their people, then their people did extraordinary things for their customers. But they also found that when they cared for their people, their people made better deals and had better relationships with their vendors and partners and with their communities. And that all of that leads to much better relations with your shareholders or investors because you'll get a better return over time in a company that is connected and energized in this way. Mm -hmm. I, my colleague and friend, uh, uh, Professor Jim Clausen, wrote this great book called Level Three Leadership. We taught together for years at Darden Business School. And the first line of Jim's book is, leadership is about managing energy, first in yourself and then in others. And the absolute best way to manage energy is to give, is to give people a sense of meaning and purpose in what they do. When people have a sense of meaning and purpose, they don't watch the clock. They're, they're, they're focused on the mission. And that brings so much more energy to what they do. You can feel it. You, know, you walk into any kind of business, 
And you can feel how well it is run and led and managed by the quality of the energy. And we all have that sense of walking into an establishment. And I know I used to feel that way when I'd go to a, a restaurant sometimes. I, I've always been known for having very good restaurant intuition. And what it is, is I think I just read the energy. I read, the, and what does that mean? I'm looking at the body language, the facial expressions, the movement patterns of the people who work there and the people who are eating there. And I, if I sense that people aren't happy, <laughs> I don't want to eat there. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I think that's really good. And a lot of it, what you're talking about is, yes, paying attention to so, some of those observable things. But there are these nuances that you can pick up on that um, you become sensitive to observing them. And I think it's, it's looking at really high level observation skills and using your intuition to really pick up things like that. That's, well, that's, that's, that's a good example of what does a restaurant feel like or any entity that you walk into, what, what's the sense that you get when you go in there? Is it welcoming or don't care or <laughs> what? Yeah, or fake welcome or uh, scripted niceness rather than genuine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Welcome. And so this is, this, is, this is part of the fun of doing coaching with senior executives, which I've done for many years, because... I know we have a common interest in 360 feedback and I, I was, I, I love getting 360 reports on executives when I'm coaching them. And so tremendously powerful tool. And I know you have a lot of expertise in this, this area. And I always attempt to do my own assessment based on, my meeting with the person or one, one talk with them and see how much I can intuit of what the 360 is going to say. <laughs> it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's everything's right there, but it's good to have objective confirmation of what, of what your intuition tells you. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing you probably ask some pretty intuitive questions to get at some of that information because you've been at this a long time and you know what kinds of questions are going to elicit certain kinds of responses from people that let you know if they're individuals who tend to take responsibility for their own actions or blame others. Uh, and that makes me think of another question I wanted to go into with you because I think this is important also for my listeners because many of them work with leaders themselves. What do you do when you are working with a leader to help them shift? If they have been primarily focused on profit in the past, not because of some evil intent, but just not being aware of the importance of those other elements, because I'm not going to even go there where the people only want profit and that's what they're driving at. It's sort of like thinking about trying to help someone change their behavior if they have no interest in it. So I'm focusing now on the leaders that are open 
and they want to, but they don't have a clue what they need to do differently. So what are some of the things you do to help them shift from that focus on profit to the focus on healing and on people? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that question. And you're absolutely right. The the people who don't care about people never hire me anyway. Exactly. (laughs) You repel them, right? (laughs) It's just... So I can't, I can't comment on those. And you, and you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Exactly. The people, the people who do want to be helped, but as you say, who don't know where to begin. A lot of times what that comes down to is, is a fundamental shift of paradigm. And, I, and this, I, I've written books about this. I, a lot of my coaching is just helping people make the shift from a transactional to a truly interpersonal way of being with others from a i and it relationship to an i and thou relationship so that that's what the art of connection my previous book mm-hmm. all about and i created a motto because to me it's so important it's so powerful the motto is Conjungere ad salvendum. And that, that's Latin for connect before solving. Connect before solving. So coaching them to, in their interactions with other people, pause before they get down to the objectives that need to be achieved, the goals that need to be set and accomplished, the strategy and the tactics that need to be implemented, all the stuff that's on their to-do list. And we all know and love, I love, it's actually relatively easy to get these driven, intense people who basically, they have a good heart, that's why they're reaching out to me, but they've just grown up in this driven, overly young modality uh, of achievement and focus on the external. And when, and there's different ways to appeal to them depending upon their personality and, and, and how uh, the nature of my relationship with them, but getting them to make that shift so that they pause and practice actually connecting with people and let go into a timeless but get off the clock recognize the soul of the other person what's so great is they start to feel that oh my god their own soul is uplifted by taking that and 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 why you know i'm particularly good at helping those kind of people because i'm one of them <laughs> I'm I with you. Reformed version of one of those people. So I, I know what that's like. I totally get it, and and my whole life has been tra- transformed, you know, decades ago, by that, by the realization of conjugare ad solvendum, connect before solving, I and thou, and from. And what's so cool is, as, as a lifetime student of the creative process, when we're connected, we think way better. Ideas flow, the solutions emerge. 
we, we get out of the ego and into a, a higher realm of intelligence, not in some woo-woo mystical way. This is easily accessible. Uh, and, and this is, so I've been studying, how do you get access to it? And whether on your own, but especially, you know, so first you have to connect with yourself. As Jim said, leadership's about managing energy, first in yourself, then in others. So you manage your own energy by tuning in and letting go of your, your thoughts and your feelings and your sensations for a moment and just being fully present and accessing the sense of being and presence and pure existence. Oh, and that slows everything down and changes everything. And then when you learn to do that in yourself, then you can embrace the soulfulness and the presence in another person. And by the way, this takes almost no time. It actually transforms time and creates so much more creative possibility. So there's nothing I love doing more than helping people make that shift and have that realization. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because when you take that approach, the tensions, the conflicts, the stories we've carried about somebody else from the past, it, bringing it into this conversation with them, all of that gets set aside because you're, you are being fully present and it is a different way of thinking. You're right about it being a, a real paradigm shift for somebody. But I, I, as I was listening to you, I was thinking it's almost like the scales come off their eyes and now they can see because they were blinded by these earlier thoughts and beliefs about how things are. You're helping them see a different, I don't want to say different reality, but a different way, a different lens through which to look at other people and at their world. Yes, and then it tends to other people feel that and, and the leader or manager in question winds up getting a lot of validation and a lot of support and much better actual results by shifting the way they think about the process of connection. Mm -hmm. Well, thinking about these 25 companies that you profiled, I'm curious if you found that there were some, you know, what were the common threads among them? What were the values that they shared? And what did you notice about the attitudes and behaviors of the people who work there? Yes. Well, they all, they all, they, they all organize themselves around a higher purpose. And that, that, became vividly clear for all of them, however they got there, whether they started there, whether they were trying to do something good, but then took it to another level, or whether they were unconscious and then had an awakening. They all realized their enterprise had to be an expression of something higher, some noble form of service to, to humanity, meeting some real human need. Like kind bars is a great example. Mm -hmm. they, they wanted to they wanted to make something that's really beautiful, that's really healthy, and really delicious. And and you know, I I was a customer of kind kind bars long before I got to interview them and and put them in the book. And they're just such a fabulous, beautiful story. So so first is they're all organized around a higher purpose. And as we, we discussed earlier, they all make the people who work in their enterprise the, the core stakeholder, the, the, the primary 
stakeholder. And, and to one extent or another, they all take on responsibility for alleviating suffering in some meaningful way. So a lot, you know, a lot, a lot of organizations over the years have followed a paradigm that's still a dominant paradigm, which was started by Carnegie and Rockefeller. Carnegie explained it. He, he called it his dictum. In the first third of your life, get as much education as you can. In the next third of your life, make as much money as you can. And in the last third of your life, give away as much money as you can. So we have now the Giving Pledge, started by Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. And they've recruited a couple hundred other billionaires who pledge to give at least half of their wealth to help humanity. And this is noble and it's wonderful. And I wrote an article called The Giving Pledge Needs the Healing Oath. And the healing oath is at the back of our book. We invite readers to have the chance to commit themselves in their enterprise to following the principles of a healing organization. But the idea is that it matters how you make the money. It's, it's no longer the paradigm of, well, you can exploit the worker, ruin the environment, and then make up for it later by giving away your money. Sorry, the world can't afford that anymore. Our, our climate can't afford it. Humanity can't afford it. it it's too destructive. Uh, we're, we're too powerful now in, in so many ways, for better or for worse. So we have to make it for better. So you know, the, first, the first principle of the healing oath is first do no harm. Yeah, just like doctors, I was thinking about that when you were talking about the greater good. One of the things I noticed was the emphasis on community service. The it, It's just an integral part of how they do business. And I think uh, it was just hitting me as I was listening to you that one of the key reasons I think their employees are so engaged is because they are involved in giving to the community. And we both know that when people give, it, that in itself is such an intrinsic reward that they want to do more of it. It's sort of getting, it, getting the ball rolling. And these organizations, to me, are just amazing examples of spreading their goodness way beyond their, their, even their employees and their customers. The community at large is another one of their stakeholders. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And then what happens is as these organizations get involved, in serving their communities and volunteering and, and supporting community benefit projects, the communities fall even more in love with the organizations. Yes. So it becomes a lot easier to do business and they make more money. So it's not just, you know, people, we have this old fashioned, really out of date notion that there's nonprofits and there's uh, do-gooders, and then there's greedy capitalists uh, who are going to, and that these are always going to be, that's not the, the original idea of capitalism has been distorted. Yes, Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, but he also wrote The Theory of Moral Sentiments. But people just seem to have forgotten the theory of moral sentiments and glorified The Wealth of Nations, which is a genius work. Freedom leads to prosperity, yes. 
but it needs to be tempered and balanced with moral sentiments, with caring for all stakeholders in a society. And that was Adam Smith's original intention. He wanted to create a system, a self-generating system that would especially benefit people who were at his time on the lower end of the economic spectrum. Mm -hmm. It was designed to uplift all of humanity, but it lost its way with the insanity of shareholder primacy as a, as a driving doctrine and with, with the, the tendency of, of greed and evil to, uh, to take advantage of loopholes. <laughs> well, you know, you're mentioning that reminds me that first part of the book was fascinating to me. There were so many things I didn't realize, and I won't try to go into the details of that in our time together today, but it, it it's every bit to me as gripping as the stories of these companies because you really do set the context. You, you explain the historical um, events that led up to the founding of our country and all the elements that went into the, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, there were things I really had not ever studied. Uh, so that was fascinating in itself. And then looking at this distortion that happened over time around this concept of capitalism and the bad connotation that became, became associated with it. And I really admire the work that you and Raj are doing and the other leaders involved with this movement to educate companies. And of course, companies means educating the leaders, educating the people there. And I have to say that one of the things that struck me in your last section was about your focus on love, because you just don't hear that very often related to the workplace. And I would like for you to just talk a couple of minutes about how that works when people kind of tiptoe around that idea. You know, we talk about caring, but the idea of loving, you know, that can be a little tricky to uh, discuss. So I want to hear your, your thoughts on that. Well, almost, thank you. Well, almost everyone says, you know, that love is the supreme human conditions, state, aspiration. It's the teaching of certainly Christianity. If there's, you know, if you sum it up in one word, it would be love. Uh, uh, the whole Judeo-Christian tradition, to to me, can be summed up in two phrases which are interconnected. Uh, uh, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the big uh, 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 point is those two statements are one statement. The reason you love your neighbor as yourself is there's no separation between your neighbor and what you call God. God is love, and that's all that exists. So that also just happens to be the teaching of the essence of Buddhism, of Hinduism, of Sufism. It's the realization of most shamanic traditions around the world. So this is supreme, universal, 
human common knowledge. And wouldn't, don't we all want to love our work? So why do we have this idea that what we do for most of the time of our life should be something that is, is, is dissociated from this most fundamental human raison d'etre? Why, why, that's, that's, to me, that's just completely insane. Uh, if, if, every, if people focused on doing what they love, on, on being loving towards all creation, on think, how can I find a way to express myself in service to others and the planet that will generate abundance? Who wouldn't love that? And why not think that way when, 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 Raj has done the homework to show you you'll make more money because <laughs> you could also love making lots of money. I love abundance. I, I, I love, I love to, to generate abundance for myself and others. So why would you not do that? <laughs> I think it goes back to people compartmentalizing themselves, you know, in their personal lives, love, is acceptable. You love your children, you love your spouse, your family members. But at work, there's sometimes these barriers that put that are put up. And and I love what you're saying because <laughs> you're really advocating breaking those down. We're humans in our essence everywhere we are. Yes. Well you know uh, I was I was leading a, a meeting for one of my, my clients not long ago, and the CEO, really visionary, they were going through some challenging times, and he was talking to, he was giving a company-wide meeting and address, and he was, he was talking about the lengths to which the company was going to go to preserve people's jobs in this difficult condition, and that he himself as a senior leader was taking a 20% uh, pay cut and all the executives of the company had voluntarily agreed to do that. And what was fascinating was you could just feel the love emanating. Yes, it's, it really helps that it emanated from the leader of this company and that there was this alignment of the leader of the company and the, the whole executive team. And, but, it was at every level of the company and people were you know, already focusing on what could they do beyond their job description to help the company get through this difficult time. And that's, by the way, the real test of, of the healing organization, conscious capitalism is under duress. That's where we find out what your real values are. Mm -hmm. That's where we find out what's, what's what. And, I, I'm, again, because of the self-selecting bias of the people who have engaged me over the years, I, I do have a, a, a sample of, of goodness and love. <laughs> and believe me, I've also seen plenty of the opposite. I mean, I, I do occasionally read the newspapers. So I am aware that, that, that uh, uh, this is uh, an idea. I think it is an idea whose time has come, but uh, we got to spread the gospel. So it's great that we get to have this conversation 
Hopefully yes. their friends to listen to it. <laughs> oh, no doubt. And you know, as you were describing that particular company, what you're really talking about there, I think is, is so significant on different levels because when people start asking those kinds of questions, what else can I do? There's a level of commitment and caring there that a salary alone is not going to engender. You're just not going to see that kind of uh, reaction or response emerge from people who are not actively engaged, not just in their work, but in the success of the organization. That, that just speaks volumes about what kind of culture they've succeeded in creating there. And yeah. so as we're coming to the end of our time, I know we could go another hour easily, Michael, because you just are such a wealth of experience and wisdom. What would you leave my listeners with if they are, besides getting your book, of course, which I highly recommend, they need to get the healing organization and read that. But what are one or two tips that you might share that would help them not just become more aware of this, but actually become more of a healing person, a healing organization themselves? Yes. Uh, uh, two things I say. One is read the stories in our book and seek out other stories like this. Look for inspiring, heroic examples because we tend to just get the bad news. That's, that's what is contagious in, 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 on a lot of social media, on a lot of the so-called news. So you have, to, you have to be intentional about having role models. That's part of why we wrote the book. That's the heart of the book is read the stories because they will inspire you. And if you're like us, you, they'll bring tears to your eyes. And you'll, you'll feel, oh my God, there's more goodness possible in humanity than, than maybe I realize. And it's important to nurture that in oneself. So seek uh, examples and stories of people who are living these higher, higher values. And then the other thing I say is learn to think creatively because you're going to have to think creatively to figure out how, how to implement this in your life. So that's another one of the elements that all these leaders have that they're all creative thinkers. I started working with a lot of them because they, they, engage me to help them think creatively first. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the skill that you need to translate this. Once you understand from part one, you understand the evolution of capitalism, the integration of the theory of moral sentiments with the wealth of nations, the original intention uh, uh, of you know, the American dream and how to bring it back, uh, the movement from empire to ministry, the big sweep of history, the evolution of consciousness, that's all great. Then you read the stories and you say, oh my God, these people did this and they all do it in different ways. And then you say, okay, how do I do it? You want to learn the skills of thinking creatively. That's great. Those are two wonderful points for us to end with. Thank you, Michael. It's just been an honor to get to talk to you and tap into that wonderful creative brain of yours for a little while and just learn more about your passion. You can see it, you can hear it. and. Um, I'm very excited about the work you're doing, and I want to thank you for all that you're doing to make a difference. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. 
Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.